week, another seven days around the sun. From a far-off outpost in the bowels of Conus comes another edition of Wilderness of Mirrors. Boom, bam, bing. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you're tuning in for the first time, thanks and welcome. If you're returning, uh, you must be a glutton for punishment, so thanks for coming back. Yeah, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Another seven days of interesting news nuggets. Uh, normally I'm a little more enthusiastic, but in quite, quite honestly, I'm just baffled. I'm really baffled. I'm finding it hard to grasp and believe some of the things that I'm seeing are, are really happening and that there's just not more of a, a public outcry and, and that mainstream media doesn't seem to be showing any concern. But uh, I'm basically talking about President Biden's appearances in public and his attempts to actually sometimes even put coherent sentences together. I'm very troubled by that. Whether you like Biden or not, you should be concerned. He's the president of the United States. The whole world is watching. And, and some of the stuff that he comes up with, not only is it inaccurate and not factual, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And as an American who's, secured, who's uh, concerned for the future of this country and as an American who's concerned about us being taken advantage of due to lack of leadership, I, I'm, I'm very concerned. And there's no way anybody in this world is going to convince me that should something happen to President Biden that Kamala Harris is qualified or going to even be able to handle that position even for a short time. So yeah, it's, it just gets crazier week by week. I wanted to start out this week kind of with a commentary. I watched the other day the hearing um, with Senator Paul and Dr. Fauci. And after watching that, I had a few comments I wanted to open with. Now, I'm not a scientist or even a medical doctor, but over my career I've attended quite a few courses taught by several organizations that are considered uh, reputable. And a lot of those courses have to do with interview, interrogation, recognizing human deception, uh, kind of like spy the lie type of things. And I've also conducted or sat in on literally hundreds of interviews and interrogations. And watching Dr. Fauci, in my opinion, based on my experience, his body language alone shows he's full of crap. His body language and his attempts at deflection, for me, were painfully obvious. I'll give you an example. So when he was asked about gain-of-function research and, and funding, Fauci attempted to focus on just one, one item, one report that he had that, that he doesn't feel is an example of gain-of-function research. And he attempted to dance around that question and deflect it became obvious he was visibly shaken by the pressure of continuing the narrative that it wasn't gain-of-function research, despite the facts, even facts as they were read to him from his own reports. 
Now, some people, I've, I've seen some people play this off as he was getting upset. That wasn't what I saw anyways. It wasn't anger. It was nervousness. So to give you an example of what I mean about dancing around and deflecting, let's try a different example. Let's compare this to a different question. Let's imagine Rand asked Fauci if he had robbed a bank. Imagine that. So, Senator Rand, Dr. Fauci, did you in any way participate in that robbery of the bank? Dr. Fauci, Senator Rand, you don't know what you're talking about. I simply walked into the bank with a gun and demanded money, but I did not rob the bank. Now, that's an extreme example, but that's pretty much what he was saying when he was trying to explain away the gain-of-function research. It wasn't only ridiculous... It's painfully obvious he's in damage control mode, trying to protect himself from any responsibility from what may or may not have happened. Nothing Fauci has said in the past should be accepted as fact, and any of his future recommendations regarding COVID should be not only taken with a grain of salt, but perhaps even dismissed. From my point of view, he's lost all credibility. And now his integrity is even in question. It's, his integrity is questionable at best. And he should either resign or be removed. That's just my two cents. But I think a good portion of the American public is starting to wake up. And, and the one guy who's very qualified, despite Fauci's claims, that he doesn't know what he's talking about, Senator Rand, he gets it too. Item two on today's agenda has to do with that wonderful billionaire summer camp that occurs every year in Sun Valley, Idaho, and just recently occurred, sponsored by Allen & Company Investment Bank, with a lot of focus on the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab and the annual World Economic Forum that takes place at Davos every year. Some forget about this annual Sun Valley, Idaho gathering, as they really try to fly under the radar. They don't have the website that announces it. They don't have a website that announces the guest. And then they really try to avoid as much as possible uh, the press. So this Sun Valley meeting, if you're not aware of it, maybe you don't care about it, but it's basically a gathering of these tech billionaires and media moguls to discuss business. Or, as some would say, to decide the future of the country and the perhaps the world. But it strikes my curiosity enough to ask what actually does go on at these meetings. None of the attendees will tell you. It's very secretive. Attendance is by invitation only. There's no written agenda. Everything is treated as off the record. And the security that they have there rivals that of any meeting where there would be presidents or heads of state in attendance. The security is actually pretty impressive. And the attendees, they're not even supposed to talk about having been at the meeting, let alone what goes on there. Now, realizing these elite billionaires have a collective wealth that is more than 16 nations combined, there's a lot of speculation as to what goes on at these meetings. And a lot of people, myself included, think it's a lot more than just biz ops. 
some people seem to think that they're meeting to discuss the future of, of the country, as I mentioned before, or in some cases the world. But others speculate they're there to talk about the future elections. You know, those ones we have as a democracy, or the ones that we at least believe we have. There's several indicators, several, that there's a lot more going on than networking and biz ops. Let's look at some of the attendees. You'll recognize probably most of these names if you follow them. But obviously, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mike Bloomberg, Elon Musk, Rupert Murdoch, the executive chairman of News Corp, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, Ursula Burns, CEO of Xerox, Jack Dorsey, of course, from Twitter, Meg Whitman, the CEO of Hewlett-Packard, Tim Armstrong, the CEO of AOL, David Zaslav, the CEO of the Discovery Network, Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, James Murdoch, the CEO of 21st Century Fox, Rob Marcus, the CEO of Time Warner. Many of these same people are also regulars at the World Economic Forum. These are some of the most powerful and richest people in the world, so it's no surprise that they would attend a meeting of the elite. But for me, here are some attendees that are head-scratchers. Aviv Nivo. Okay, maybe that's not a surprise. He's a venture capitalist that's always chasing money. But look at some of the other ones. Chris Christie. That's right, Chris Christie, the, the former governor of New Jersey, Republican. Why is he there? It's not like he's a multi-billionaire. He's not a major business, uh, business mogul, perhaps a future presidential candidate. Why is he there? Charlie Rose, the journalist. Now, most other journalists can't even get close to this gathering. As I said, it's by invitation only, although they have had some there in the past. But why is Charlie Rose attending? Why is he an invitee? If the meeting or the purpose of the meeting is for business opportunities... That really doesn't explain Charlie Rose and Chris Christie. But perhaps the biggest head-scratcher of them all for me is why is the director of the CIA and former CIA directors there? What purpose does the CIA director have for this type of meeting? The presence of the CIA director at a quote-unquote business meeting makes it more likely this meeting has a bit more purpose than just networking and figuring out how to make more money. What is actually going on behind these closed doors? Is it true that our country, and in fact these elite billionaires, are ruling our country? Is it perhaps true they're running the world instead of the officials who have been elected to do that? Or is this nothing more than just another right-wing conspiracy theory? I don't know for sure. But one thing I do know for sure, this meeting has been going on for years, and what actually is being discussed here has remained as closely guarded, and even in some cases more so than national security classified information has. But some things have man managed to, to leak out a little bit. At one of the former meetings, 
it was revealed that meetings had gone on during the conference on topics such as global warming and school reform. So the question, are they learning about these topics or shaping the narrative? When you start putting the pieces of this puzzle together and start looking at the pieces, and you see politicians who have attended over the years later to become presidential candidates, it should cause some eyebrows to be raised. And when you look at past invitees from propaganda news outlets like CNN, which included Anderson Cooper and Van Jones, New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman, and the likes of Tom Brokaw, all who seem to report on major issues with a certain slant, regardless of the facts, really makes one wonder what the real purpose or mission of this billionaire's club is. I mean, why would Amazon need Van Jones there to discuss business ops? And by the way, Bezos just announced he's giving Van Jones $100 million to do with as Van Jones pleases. That's some hell of a thank you for services rendered. The other thing that kind of makes me laugh is they're always pushing, a lot of these multi-billionaires are pushing this climate change global warning narrative at the same time they fly into to Sun Valley in hundreds, literally hundreds of private jets. So that, well, I must admit, I, I really don't know what goes on in these meetings. I've never obviously been invited and I never will be. The breadcrumb trail tells me the average citizen is playing against a house that holds all the cards and also decides the game that will be played. It's very disturbing. It's very troubling. And it gives more credence to the possibility of altered, altered elections. I'm going to leave the rest of that topic alone for now. But it is really food for thought on really who is driving the narrative in this country and what the ultimate end game is. The last topic that I wanted to cover today is pretty high up on the list of things that are bothering me. The list is getting longer, it seems, by the week. But this topic is something I've been researching for a few months now, have a little bit of inside knowledge of as far as past experience. But I've kind of avoided it because I was hoping the information that was coming out was inaccurate or false or based on theory. And that topic's on the FBI and the FBI operations. This is a topic that is gaining more attention as information is being revealed regarding the so-called plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Now questions are legitimately being raised. If this was a plot created by a group that has been called a domestic terrorist or white supremacist group, or if this was a plot created and planned by the FBI using the defendants in this case to do the work and take the fall, or if it was something in between. I'll be the first to say I'm well aware in criminal cases defense attorneys can often make outlandish claims in an attempt to cast doubt on the case cast their their client in, in a better light but in this instance 
it appears the defense claims might just hold some merit. BuzzFeed did quite a in-depth report and they found there were at least 12 FBI informants involved in the Whitmer investigation and into the group for months while the alleged planning to kidnap the governor took place. Now considering only six people have been charged with being directly involved with planning the kidnapping, it appears there were more government agents, or agents of the government rather, involved in this plot than there were bad guys. Now I know, I know informants, they're vital to many law enforcement operations. They're vital to intelligence operations. But the role of an informant and the rules the informant have to follow, especially in a criminal investigation, are narrow. And it's supposed to be made clear to the informants that there's certain things they can and cannot do. And that's to avoid any questions of conflicts, but especially avoid any issues of entrapment or appearances of entrapment. More often than not, the role of the informant in these type of cases especially criminal cases, is to introduce any actual undercover FBI agents to the group and to help that agent build rapport with the group and confidence in the group so the agent gains the trust of the group and then the agent can operate within the bounds of, of the legal requirements and the informant's job is basically done. That's not what happened in this case. It would appear the FBI involvement was much more than previously known as the agency was involved from the start of the plot. It's not like the agency stumbled across the plot and then investigated it. It appears they were involved from the very start and this raises a lot of red flags. And then there's information that's coming out that the informants involved on behalf of the FBI were allegedly encouraging the group to further its plans. Information obtained by BuzzFeed also indicates that an Iraqi war veteran who seemed to be the main informant in this case and actually rose in power within this group being investigated, he rose to second in command. He also paid for travel and expenses for members to meet together and encouraged members to work together, helping the person who led the group to advance the plan for the kidnapping. Allegations from one defendant even include that the informants even provided the training they needed to carry out the plot. Now this is problematic. You know that money didn't come from the informant out of his bank account. You know that money had to come from the FBI. So they can't deny that they didn't know what was going on. And that's one issue. But to combine that with the fact that some or many or most, I don't know how many members of this group, didn't have the training they would need, so the informants provided the training to carry out the plot. Well, that meets one of the many definitions of entrapment. At the point you're actually encouraging people to commit a crime and then providing them with the training and equipment to commit the crime, you've not only crossed the line of entrapment, you've stomped on it. So the question is, would there even have been a plot to kidnap the governor with without the participation of the FBI informants. But the more you dig, the more you see this is not an isolated incident and there are other red flags 
There's one case involving the FBI where a group was allegedly planning the murder of police officers. They were eventually acquitted after claiming evidence revealed that the FBI actually led the charge and made the plans for these assassinations. Then there's the case of David Williams, who was arrested and given a 25-year jail sentence for an Islamic terrorist plot to blow up Jewish synagogues and shoot down military jets with missiles. But when you look at the facts of that case, things don't add up. Williams was no angel. He was a prior convicted criminal, but he was flat broke. In fact, he was trying to raise money for a medical procedure for a relative. He had no previous convictions or experience or even intelligence. He was the head or, or an organizer in anything. So where did the organization, money, weapons, and motivation for this plot, this Islamic plot, come from? Not from actual Islamic terrorists, but from the FBI. And an FBI informant who was paid to pose as a terrorist mastermind and offering a large amount of money to those willing to help him carry out the attack. That's troublesome. Now you're creating terrorists who don't have the means or don't have the plan to carry something out, but are encouraged to do it. And if the facts of the case are true, as I said, this is a classic example of entrapment. As I said, the more you dig, though, the more you find. There are many other cases where the involvement of the FBI has been called into question. The Fort Dix Five accused of plotting an attack on Fort Dix, New Jersey. They too accused the FBI informants of actually suggesting and planning the attack. Then there are several cases using what's called the honeypot strategy, wherein the FBI will use the target's need for companionship using a female informant with an assumed promise of sexual relationships. One study done by a guy named Robert Bajeski, it was in 2015, and it was called 60 Shades of Terror Plots, examined cases of suspected terrorists that the FBI had targeted and found in at least 13 of these cases the terror plots were more appropriately called FBI plots. That's disturbing. I mean, that's disturbing. Another paper that was written and published in the Journal of Criminal Law and Criminology in 2015 by Jesse Norris also examined the pre prevalence of entrapment in post-9-11 terrorism cases, and the findings were not flattering as to the method used by the FBI to conduct these investigations. In this whole thing, as I was doing this research and, and going you know, through a lot of these notes, and believe me when I tell you, I understand what it takes to do a terrorism investigation. I understand the pieces that have to come together. The more I read, the more I scratched my head because this, some of this did, didn't make any sense. Why they would take lone people and then encourage and help plan these plots, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. But perhaps one of the most revealing things that I saw or came across was a quote from former FBI agent Michael German, and he, he explains it probably in a way everyone will understand it. So he says, quote, Prior to September 11, 2001, 
if an agent had suggested opening a terrorism case against someone who was not a member of a terrorist group, who had not attempted to acquire weapons, and who didn't have the means to obtain them, he would have been gently encouraged to look for a more serious threat. An agent who suggested giving such a person a Stinger missile or a car full of military-grade plastic explosives would have been sent to counseling, yet such techniques are now becoming commonplace. I can only compare it to encouraging someone to rob a bank and then providing them with a gun, a layout of the bank, and all the information that they need to commit the crime, and then driving them to the crime scene, and then having them go in, rob the bank, and then arresting them when they come out. I mean, it's, some of these cases are almost to that extent. However, every time the FBI announces they foil the terrorist plot, mainstream media runs with the story, becomes very big, national security, all that stuff. In many cases, they don't do any investigation. They just go with what they're being told because sometimes the facts are quote-unquote classified, so they go with what's released by the FBI. And then members of Congress and Senate hold press conferences and hearings, and the end result is the FBI gets a huge pat on the back and ultimately gets more money thrown their way. But there are some things that I feel I can say with a degree of certainty. Post 9-11, the FBI took a hit from several sources, including news media outlets and other government agencies, and quite a few politicians, as to why they had failed to detect and deter the 9-11 plot. I feel they've been trying ever since 9-11 to rebuild their reputation in the intelligence community. And since then, by some accounts, they have foiled additional plots against our country but now the question arises, how legitimate were the plans? And what was the FBI's role in discovering the plots? Are the cases real terrorist plots by actual members of known terrorist groups or more manufactured terrorists? Big question now, considering some of these facts that are coming up. The FBI agency as a whole, in my opinion, and in the opinion of others that I know, has lost a great deal of credibility and respect from not just citizens but from other agencies as well especially after that fiasco that was the Steele dossier and the absolute failure of FBI leadership under the direction of James Comey and his underlings with these mining concerns comes mining questions and I and quite a few other people seem to have some of the same questions are the FBI only targeting groups of a certain political spectrum? Those who lean right or far right? Why isn't there a more public, publicly acknowledged effort to investigate the left groups, the far left groups, such as Antifa, who have gone beyond planning and actually executed plans and destroyed property in the millions of dollars, assaulted law enforcement, including federal officers, and have seriously assaulted innocent civilians and bystanders. I will say this, anyone that tells you Antifa is just an idea and it's not organized and not well funded 
is either ignorant of how this group operates and the dynamics of this group or is blowing smoke up your backside. And as a citizen, I want to know, are these FBI plots, especially these domestic terrorist threats, are these being created by the FBI? Or are they real? Are the threats being created to grab headlines to get more funding? And maybe even perhaps to push an agenda for more domestic surveillance? Has the FBI become a weaponized political tool for a certain party? Creating a climate, creating a climate of fear for political purposes is inexcusable. This is very troubling for an agency which is at one time, and which is still supposed to be the nation's premier law enforcement agency, and perhaps the world's premier law enforcement agency. It's very troubling, and it's very disappointing. And I want to know where they lost their way. So as a former colleague of mine once wrote, after having read more than a few intelligent reports that were believed to have been a little bit more than exaggerated under a certain administration, I'll ask this question. And it's the question he asked, and now several others are asking as well. And that question is, who is watching The Watchmen? So as I end this week's podcast, once again I'll remind you the information presented here has been gathered from open source material. It's public facing. It's available to anyone that wants to take the time to look for it. It's not classified in any manner. The material is presented for information purposes only, and listeners are highly re- encouraged to conduct their own research from reliable sources, and by reliable I mean outside of mainstream media, and form their own opinion. My opinions are my own. This material is not presented for profit. As always, thanks for listening. My wish is for blessings to be upon you and yours that in all your journeys you will have good health and be safe. Until next time, so wilderness of mirrors. Stay vigilant.